What do you know about Plan 442? Well, what's the investment plan you've been working on? Your prospectus. Prospectus? What are you doing going through my work? Well, I didn't want to say what I told Mr. McIntosh about your Plan 442, and he was very, very interested. Yep, I promised him I'd bring a copy of it tonight and show it to him, but I didn't want to tell you just in case you got your hopes all up and... Uh... No, 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 of course not. Let me get you a fresh copy of the prospectus. No, I'll get a copy of it, sweetheart. Prospectus. An 11-year-old gets his hands on a million dollars and starts living large. Listen as we chat about castles and homeowners association communities, software that teaches you how to make love to your wife, and how not to pronounce tone loke. Then we find out if blank check stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Test of Time. I'm James Brief, and joining me, as always, for hundreds and hundreds of these episodes, as always, my buddy and pal, the director of the episodes, uh, Alan Noah. Hey, that's me. How you doing, James? I'm good. I'm good. It almost sounded like I forgot your name there for a second, but it, it I did. didn't. Uh, but I was going to say something else, but then I just said... Alan Noah. I was going to like do another superlative of you, like the Sultan of Swag. The Sultan of Swag. What does that even mean? I think that was one of Apollo Creed's uh, nicknames, like before he went into the ring. Uh, okay. Sure. I mean, I, I, I'll be associated with Apollo Creed. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Former heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed. Mm-hmm. You know what I love about the summer, Al? What's that? It means we're only halfway until Nick's marathon season. Okay, I guess. I mean, if we do it around November, eh, sure, whatever, sure, we'll roll with that. I mean, it's also my favorite thing about the fall because we're getting into Nick's marathon season. Uh, favorite thing about the winter is it's either Nick's marathon then or we can reminisce about the Nick's marathon that just happened. And then spring is the perfect time to start planning next year's Nick's marathon. Uh, well, there you go. And, uh, Nintendo just announced a bunch of new games, uh, not just a few weeks ago with their uh, Nintendo Direct. And one of the games is Super Mario Brothers Wonder, which is a new 2D Mario game. I've already pre-ordered it so that we will have it for Nick's Marathon because it's a four-player co-op game, which we love, those kinds of things. And those are fun to just play with a bunch of people on the couch in the same room together. Yeah, playing online is great, too. But, uh, you know, all being together, that is perfect. That's a perfect kind of Mario game. And, you know, they had to release a new Mario game now with the smash success of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Not that they had to, but that they, they really should have. And it makes perfect sense that they would do that. Oh, it absolutely does. And uh, for those listeners that don't remember, uh, Nick's Marathon is a charity organization that uh, Alan and I run with a few other people in memory of a friend of ours, uh, Nicholas Capobianco. Uh, we play co-op games. Uh, well, they're not 100% co-op games, but uh, they're, they're couch games that you play with your friends and we raise money. And yeah, this is going to be a perfect game for that. 
there was another announcement uh, that was made. Uh, famously, Square made a fantastic RPG uh, for the first time starring any of the uh, Mario uh, characters. And uh, I-, I assume you'd played this one before, right, Al? Of course I played Super Mario RPG. I love that game. I remember it took me a long time to beat it. I remember there was a boss that was a shark pirate, maybe, if I'm remembering right. But something like that. And it was really, really hard. And it took me forever to get past that. But yes, I love that game. That was a classic. Oh, yeah. And it uh, started the whole series, uh, Paper Mario, uh, The Thousand Year Door. That was kind of like a spinoff. Well, I wouldn't say it started. It's not one coherent series. None of them, like, follow each other. But this was the first Mario RPG, which later uh, led to the the Game Boy Advance uh, and DS spinoffs. You know, spinoffs in the whole series, Mario and Luigi. This was the start of all of it. You're right. It's not the beginning of any specific uh, franchise like the Mario kart series or something like that but these are all kind of the uh super mario rpg series right 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 right. i don't know that i'll download that game and buy it for 60 bucks again i mean yeah i bought it for 60 bucks 30 plus years ago i guess i just don't know that i'll have like the time to dedicate to playing that game which i remember being time intensive i'm still like just barely scratch the surface of Tears of the Kingdom. So I don't know if I'll buy it, but I mean, it's cool. You know, honestly, I probably would have been more likely to buy it if it was a sequel. But the fact that it's just a a port is a little bit less enticing for me. Um, I think it's the perfect game actually to play in few minute intervals because it's just, you know, kind of that RPG, turn-based RPG style. But I think it's a little much to charge $60 for this game. You know, when they remade uh, The Legend of Zelda uh, Link's Awakening, it seemed like they did a lot more to it. So hopefully they do make uh, a good amount of changes because $60 is a lot. But it's not a $60 port. It's not the original Super Nintendo. They are remaking it from the ground up. So, you know, it's a $60 game that you know is going to be good because it's based on a classic game unless they, you know, unless they totally fuck it up, which they won't. But it's just one of those like, come on, guys, couldn't you have made this like, you know, $39.99? Yeah, I agree. But then again, Al, I did uh, gift you a share of stock a couple years ago. So technically, there's a little bit of you that might want Nintendo to squeeze every ounce of profit they can. No, no, I don't. I, I, (laughs) I don't. But let's talk about Blank Check. This is a movie that you picked, obviously. Why? Um, I actually saw this film in the theater. Okay. Um, this film came out in 1994, and it's a movie about an 11-year-old boy named Preston Waters. Preston lacks both friends and money, and one day his bike is crushed by a bad guy named Quigley. Quigley's a criminal who had recently deposited a million stolen dollars at a local bank. Quigley accidentally runs over Preston's bike outside the bank one day, so to pay for the bike, Quigley writes Preston a check, but he doesn't have time to write the amount. Preston makes the check out for a million dollars, cashes it, and starts living large. He pretends to be an adult named Macintosh, and he buys a mansion, toys, virtual reality games, and more. Preston makes friends with his chauffeur named Henry, and he also attempts to woo a bank employee named Shay, who secretly works for the FBI. 
Ultimately, Preston comes clean about what he's done and learns that having a million dollars doesn't make you as rich as having friends and a loving family. Aww. That is a good lesson that one could learn. I suppose so. So Preston gets a million dollars from the blank check. I'm guessing the movie maybe got uh, half of a million dollars at the box office? This movie made so many millions of dollars. How many millions of dollars, James? The film had a understandable $13 million budget, low budget here. Um, it opened at number three on February 11th, 1994 with $5.4 million. It wound up with actually $30 million domestically. So, you know, not a bad little, like, you know, moneymaker for uh, Disney. Um, neat. And you saw it in the theater. You paid money to go see this. I did, and I'll tell you, it was not my choice. I do remember we were like some of the older kids in that theater. It was like a lot of like parents bringing their kids. Yeah. Um, did you like it? I remember laughing at a couple parts uh, out loud with uh, my friends. I, I remember specifically which ones they were, and I did not laugh this time. I remembered seeing the trailer for this film. It's weird because I've said how I don't watch trailers, but I do remember seeing trailers for a lot of films, and I still remember thinking it was stupid when I first saw it. But um, what I do remember about this film before I saw it was uh, the MTV VJ that I thought was gorgeous at the time. Do you remember Duffy? No. So Karen Duffy, the woman that's in this film, she plays the character Shay. She was an MTV VJ, and she just went by Duffy. And she was gorgeous, and I had such a crush on her. But I'm like, oh, that's Duffy. And, and I, I really did like seeing her in the film. I don't remember her at all. No, I mean, I, I watched... a. Decent amount of MTV. I remember Daisy Fuentes. Uh, but no, I don't remember Duffy. Yeah, I recognized her. And also, I recognized the main star of this film, Brian Bonzal. Did you recognize him without looking him up on IMDb? Honestly, no. Uh, but then once I saw it, I'm like, oh, yeah, he was the kid from uh, Family Ties. Like the little kid, the new kid that they that they brought on in season whatever. It was almost something that they uh, made fun of in The Simpsons and other things. Like, when you don't know what to do, you just bring a kid in. Um, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air kind of made it a little bit meta, where they did the same thing as uh, Family Ties did. And they kind of acknowledged it, too. You didn't really want to do, like, three seasons of, like, baby jokes. So they just made him, like, four years old right away. It also wasn't just because, like, the show was getting long in the tooth. Meredith Baxter, who played the mom, was pregnant in real life. So they wrote it into the show. But yes, then he went from being a baby to like an adorable, precocious toddler over the summer. Um, and I remember that he was in another movie. It was like a horror movie where he was like a kid that like killed people. I remember thinking that movie was really, really stupid. It's called Mikey. And I remember one thing and one thing alone from that movie. At one point, he kills his teacher. And do you want to take a guess as to what he says right before he kills his teacher? Uh, class dismissed. No, that's not a bad guess. But what he says is, there's just one more thing you need to teach me. How to die. And then he kills her with a slingshot, I think. I was like, oh, Jesus, this is terrible. 
That is pretty awful. However, yeah. this film actually has a really decent cast of supporting characters. It does? It has a couple character actors in this film that I love. The guy that plays Quigley, uh, Miguel Ferrer, he's fantastic. The guy that plays uh, Bitterman, he's the bank executive. He's this guy named Michael Lerner. Uh, he was a character actor in a lot of films. He just passed away. And um, the dad in the film is uh, James Rebhorn. He was a fantastic actor. We've seen him in a bunch of films. Um, we saw him in The Game. We saw him in our first film, uh, first episode ever. We saw him yeah, in Independence Day. Right, um, right, right, right. Yeah, he, he was very good. Um, Jane Atkinson, she's also in this film. Uh, I would say Brian Bonzal was as good as a child actor who's not, you know, Johnny Depp, River Phoenix, or, uh, you know, one of these uh, Stand By Me kids. You know, he, he was as good as you're going to get for this kind of film. I thought he was fine. It almost kind of feels like he didn't really have to do much acting, right? Like, he's just kind of, like, bouncing around as, like, a kid who got a million dollars. He didn't have to, like, tap into deep emotions, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, there's a part in this film early on that, that really bothered me. Um, these kids are supposed to be, like, 11 years old. And one of these uh, rich kids, Butch, he has a birthday party at an amusement park. And everyone's expected to, like, pay for their own rides, I didn't quite get that. Like, why, why didn't everyone have tokens? And also, Preston, he buys six tokens. He goes on all these smaller rides. Like, they do show that one ride is, like, seven tokens. Why wouldn't his parents give him any money? I know they, like, wouldn't give him allowance stuff, but something didn't add up here. Someone's parents fucked up. Either Butch's parents fucked up by not buying tickets for everyone, or uh, Preston's parents, they did fuck up. It was not a good lesson. It was not a, like, you know, a penny saved is a penny earned lesson. The kid, you brought him to a birthday party, but he was not given the money to participate in the birthday party. That was a fucked up opening scene. Well, I mean, it's weird for a whole bunch of reasons. I've never heard of tokens, but usually it's tickets, but whatever. Same basic concept of three tickets a ride, four tickets a ride. They also have an option where you can buy the bracelet so you can go on as many rides as you want. And if you're doing a birthday party, the kid's parents should have bought everyone a bracelet. Maybe they did every kid get six tickets with the assumption that the kids would buy more, but that's really weird. I thought it was kind of funny just because they're showing another amusement park that looks like it has some pretty good rides. And this is a Disney movie. Apparently, they shot it at a Six Flags amusement park. But you would think that a Disney movie wouldn't showcase another kind of amusement park that looks kind of cool. I mean, maybe like the point was that the, the whole token thing was annoying. But I feel like in a Disney movie, they'd want to show how great Disneyland is. Yeah, I mean, you have to make the movie take place in Orlando or California then, because there's only two amusement parks. Uh, Disney Shanghai would like a word with you? <laughs> you know, th there are a couple funny test of time things in this film. Like, for example, um, this family is supposedly, I don't know if they're supposed to be poor or like watching their budgets or something, but they have a house and it's this beautiful house, uh, relatively beautiful. And don't you love how much Macintosh, uh, you know, Preston as Macintosh pays for the enormous mansion with pool that's down the street? Do you remember how much he pays in cash for it? It was going for 160000 He overpaid with 300000 Right, right. I mean, uh, that's a multi-million dollar home today. Also, there's just a castle in the middle of this seemingly residential neighborhood, which is odd. 
odd, but sometimes there is an odd house like that in a development. Not if there's a homeowners association. Right, right, right. Um, I had a Mac in the early to mid-90s, and that was not when Apple was cool. This is actually when Steve Jobs was banished from the company. He lost his job. This is when he's building Pixar and, and his other company, Next. And it was really, really fledgling at this point. And people that were into Macs were really into it. And I think that this director was a Mac guy because when Preston is uh, kicked out of his room or rather when the his brothers are given his room as their office, there is a really, really obvious 20-second uh, take of the dad plugging in the Mac and it's so easy to plug in. It's like three things and it turns on. And there is a decent plot point of this film that has to do with Max, and that is when he can't come up with a, with a name. Ah, I've got the perfect name for a rich person, Macintosh. You know, a, a Mac aficionado uh, wrote this film or possibly directed this film. Or Apple gave them money, maybe? I mean, there's a lot of product placement in this movie. They eat haagen and they drink Coke and they eat Chips Ahoy. And there's just a lot of signage. They spend a lot of time at Sharper Image. So it wouldn't surprise me if Apple threw Disney a couple of bucks to, uh, to have the alter ego of this kid be Macintosh. That's true, too. Also, there's like a computer joke where the dad is saying to Preston, like, well, this software will teach you anything except how to make love to a woman. And then the mom is in the room and she goes, well, then I know what I'm getting you for your birthday. And like that joke isn't funny and really weird for a mom to say in front of her kids and really weird in a Disney movie. It's okay to have like, you know, a joke in a kid's movie that goes over the kid's head and it's more for mom and dad who brought their kids to see the movie. But like, that just felt so out of place and weird and bizarre. I was like, what is she implying? That she's never had sex with her husband and that these kids aren't really their biological kids? Like, what what's the joke here? Uh, I just think it's an unfunny joke. Now, I want to talk about the actual plot of the film, like how this kid gets a million dollars. There was a little fake out in the beginning of the film where Preston gets a uh, a birthday card from his grandma and his grandma forgot to sign the check so it's a bl- or, or for, fill out the amount so it's a blank check. And I was like, no way. He's not going to fucking take this from his grandma. And then, no, it's not. There's a weird kind of overly convoluted way that Preston gets the money because while Preston turns in a fake uh, million dollar check that he had printed out, well, I guess it's a real check, but uh, it wasn't really going to be cashed. At the same time, this criminal Quigley had told the bank operator, like, I'm giving you a million dollars worth of money, uh, sequential bills that the FBI could trace. I'm going to send a guy to pick up a million dollars in cash tomorrow. It's going to be clean. So actually, in a Kind of weird way with the whole money laundering and, you know, now that I watch Breaking Bad and stuff, I was like, this is a little bit more sophisticated than it has to be. But I kind of gave him a little credit for coming up with something. Really? You did? I think it was kind of silly how he gets the million dollars, but it was a a legitimate thing that the criminal was doing, I was saying. Like, he's laundering it, and then he says, I'm going to have a guy that's going to come pick up some clean money. Yes, he should have said, like, you know, what the guy looks like. But it's also 1994. You can't, like, text him a picture. 
See, it's funny you said Breaking Bad. My mind went to Ozark. A lot of Ozark was about money laundering, and it took him a long time to launder money. And it was a big, convoluted process. And I have no idea how accurate that show is. I realize it's fiction. But Quigley shows up to the bank with a million dollars, and then is like, okay, you're going to launder this by tomorrow. And the guy at the bank's like, okay. And maybe it's just easier because he works at a bank and he's crooked and yada yada something, something, something. But I was like, is it that easy to launder a million dollars in one day? He doesn't launder it one day. Actually, that's a good question. And it's a very subtle thing that they do actually address in the film. He's able to give him a million dollars laundered, like clean bills in a day. That's not hard. The hard part is accounting for like, what are you going to do with the dirty money? Somebody at some point turns in a $100 bill to the bank and these dollar bills have been getting out and they're marked by the FBI. So Shay, the uh, bank worker that is the undercover agent, she's starting to see, hmm, somebody's releasing these bills that we had marked that obviously uh, Quigley had like stolen a year earlier and no one's seen them in a year. He had buried them. It's a little convoluted, but it is addressed. Well, also like the entire concept of a blank check from a test of time perspective, like you mentioned, you know, the whole scene where they have to explain what a blank check is because of the check from grandma and that serves as helpful handholding for kids watching it. My kids know what a check is because my kids have grandparents who sometimes give them checks. But like this idea of, you know how I'm going to get a million dollars by getting a blank check from someone. Yes, it could still happen. So I guess you could say it does still stand the test of time, but that's just not a thing that any kid would think of. When kids think of money, they don't think of checks. They think of cash or Venmo or credit cards, but checks are like pretty far down that list. That's perfectly valid. However, I would argue that blank check is still an expression. The kids might not understand why they're saying that. Just like the same reason they might not understand why the save icon is a floppy disk. They don't know that that's a floppy disk, but they just know that that's a save button. I would argue that kids today do know what the term blank check means because people still say it. Like, oh, the army was given a blank check when they went into here. Oh, uh, Taylor Swift could she gets a blank check for anything she wants. Hard disagree. As a father, I've never heard a kid say that. You make a decent argument. I do think it's still part of the vernacular, blank check. It all feels off. If you wanted to make a movie today about a kid getting a million dollars, you wouldn't have it be based around a check. That's my point. You would have it be some other way. Someone accidentally deposits a million dollars into the Venmo account or something. Yeah. And, you know, the film takes a strange turn and it basically turns into like a Home Alone clone. Quigley and the bad guys, they're trying to get his money back. And Preston uses all of his newfound toys and gadgets to turn his mansion, the Macintosh mansion, into a house of booby traps. And he kind of gets all of them, but not really. Like, some of the stuff I think is a little weird. Like, he puts the VR helmet on one of the guys and, like, the guy, like goes nuts i mean this is not some like light thing this is a 1994 vr helmet the guy feels that there's like 15 pounds on his head just take the thing off dude it is a home alone clone and it is not as good and it is just like really tedious it's not terribly long but it felt really long 
in Home Alone, those guys are more like bumbling. Quigley seems like he really wants to murder Preston for like a lot of the movie. Earlier in the movie, there's a chase scene through a park where he's like actively trying to run him over with his car. Also, from a test of time perspective, that doesn't work now because instantly everybody would have their cell phone out and be recording footage of this, of look at this madman driving through a park trying to kill a kid. You know, you can't do that anonymously. You know, in the movie, everyone's like, boy, that guy sure is a jerk. No one really seems to be that concerned about the guy driving through the park and nearly killing lots and lots and lots of people. But, you know, he can kind of be that brazen because he's going to get away with it. But that would not work today. Uh, yeah, I mean, cell phones would change everything in this film. Uh, I, I think the banker would text uh, quickly and be like, uh, you really want me to give a million dollars to this kid? And you would not confuse Juice, played by Tony Locke, uh, as a kid. So uh, Wait, I'm sorry, played by who? Just say it. I don't know. Well, how do you say his name? Tone Loke. That's Tone Loke. You don't remember Tone Loke? Funky Cold Medina? Wild Thing? Those were huge hits in the 90s. Funky Cole Medina. Yeah, I guess I just didn't know how he pronounced his name. Oh, yeah. Those songs were everywhere. And he was in Ace Ventura, colon, Pet Detective. Okay, Al. I'm genuinely surprised that you don't know Tone Loke. First, you know, I do mispronounce a lot of things. But, yeah, I, I mean, I remember Funky Cole Medina. I recognize this guy. And I don't think most of the, our listeners are like, the fuck? <laughs> um, yeah. You know what? Let's find out. Listeners, if you know who Tone Loke is and you know his name isn't Tony Locke, is that what you said? Write to us at Test of Time Pod. Or if you think I'm being totally irrational, let us know. If you agree with me, I will tell James. At Test yes. of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, you know, I, I want to talk about the part that the internet wants to cancel this film for. That is the uh, the infamous scene at the end of the film where um, the FBI saves the day and uh, Preston's, uh, you know, exonerated. And Shay goes over to Preston and she's like, oh, you're not such a bad kid. You're a sweet kid, blah, blah, blah. And he, of course, has a crush on Shay the entire film, which is fine. Kid having a crush on beautiful Karen Duffy is perfectly fine and what you would imagine would be you know she kisses him on the forehead or something and is like you're a good kid you're gonna make some girl really happy one day or something she kisses him on the lips and when preston says can i call you sometime she says maybe in 10 years which is a like weird and b he's like five years and she just like turns to him and she's like preston and it's just kind of creepy um, kind of creepy? Uh, no, I'm saying the whole thing is creepy. Just that specific thing when she's like, Preston. So shortly after I watched this movie, I was scrolling through Facebook and I got an ad, a sponsored content post, and it said, Disney's got a dark past. Classic Disney moments that age terribly. It has three pictures. Two of them I didn't recognize. One was this kiss. And she kind of goes a little bit like on the upper part of the lip, you know, like in the mustache section of his face, but she kisses him on the lips. It is horrific. And it's not just that. I want to make it clear that it's not just that one moment that is creepy as fuck. The entire movie, they are going on dates. She is being very 
playful with him. Yes, we know she's an FBI agent and she's trying to get information and, like, their date isn't a real date. She's trying to get intel on what's going on with this Macintosh fella. But, like, they go gallivanting through a park and there's one of those fountains that, like, shoots up. She's laughing and having the time of her life and they're in the limo together and then she gets out of the limo and she has a real look of longing as he drives away. And she's like... (sighs) Like, the whole, whole relationship is creepy. You're right, yeah, if he's a kid who has a crush on an adult, fine. But she really seems to be reciprocating before the kiss. Then the kiss just is extra, extra horrible. And, like, it's really hard to imagine Disney being okay with this, even then. And if you think it's maybe just a little weird, imagine it gender-swamped. Imagine it's a little girl and an adult man who is really into this girl and going on dates with her and frolicking in a fountain with her and then gives her a kiss at the end and says, you can call me when you're 18, 17, eh, maybe 16. Like, what the fuck? Right? Like, when you imagine it gender swapped, it feels worse. You know, it's like the, that South Park episode where the, the teacher's molesting the kid and the cops are all like, oh, we'll get that guy. And it's like, oh, no, actually, it's a female teacher molesting a male student. And all the cops say nice right like it's a double standard it's bullshit but like it's it's awful it's really fucking awful how did anyone at the disney company think this was a good idea even 30 years ago i'm not asking rhetorically i genuinely would love to know yeah um you know and also at the end of this film the thing that kind of bothers me is preston had made up this name macintosh as kind of an alternate identity so he can kind of do a couple adult transactions buy the house and uh you know probably hire the limo but at the very end like preston's about to come clean because they're like okay who's macintosh there is a reason why quigley pretends to be macintosh because he's going to assume that identity yes this should unravel in like 30 seconds when they talk to him at the uh station because he should be like no bring in the real estate agent she can clearly testify that a guy named macintosh on the phone outbid me when i was standing right in front of you i'm not macintosh yes to all of that you're correct also though Preston never confesses to what he's done. He gets away with everything. And he has committed real, actual crimes that have done real, actual damage to innocent bystanders in this movie. And yeah, it's a Disney movie. It could be a silly little thing. His dad finds out and says, you're grounded for a year. And he says, what? Record scratch movie ends. It could be something silly, but his dad doesn't find out. Shay doesn't find out. Well, I guess Shay does find out. Um, Does Shay find out? I don't even remember. No, no. And you're right. That's literally how Home Alone 1 and 2 end. The first one ends with, Kevin, what did you do to my room? And the second one ends with, Kevin, you spent $7,000 on you know something or other, room service. On the credit card, like yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right. That's exactly how a 90s film should have ended. There are literally zero consequences to Preston, and there should be some. I'm not saying the kid needs to go to jail and be hauled off to juvie or whatever for money laundering, but like he really should have some negative consequences because he has done wrong. Also, it's a kid's movie, so you don't want to leave your audience 
with the message of, hey, kids, you can do all these crimes. And as long as it's adorable, it's fine. No, it ain't. I couldn't get over that. I really couldn't. But I want to ask you, do you recognize Karen Duffy from any other film? It's a Jim Carrey classic. I didn't recognize her. I did see, like, in the trivia that she was in Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, she's one of the bad guys chasing him. You know, uh, she's kind of a tough-talking woman, like, who's also his companion. Well, James, I'll ask you, do you think that Blank Check stands the test of time? This may surprise you, but... I found the first half of this film kind of pleasant. Um, I felt very bad for Preston in the first scene. Um, I thought it was a little uh, poorly uh, scripted, the first scene, but I felt very bad for him. It really established, if only I had some money. Um, They put three seconds of thought into how he could actually get a million bucks out of the bank. Silly as it was, I liked it. I really liked the supporting cast. I mentioned that. I haven't mentioned the uh, the limo driver. He's this kind of Jack Black, Chris Farley-like guy. I thought he was a very likable uh, actor. I thought uh, the, the role he played, I thought was very good. I thought he was kind of a, a real nice guy. Like, this is how an adult should be, like, friends with a kid. Like, it was not creepy at all. Yeah, I mean, it was too bad that uh, he didn't have any uh, younger kids. But that's exactly my point. I thought this was fantastic. Like, it was a really good setup. Like, the kid has everything you could want. I thought it was adorable when he's doing like the sumo wrestler and uh, the sumo wrestler thing with the limo driver and he was having a lot of fun. But at no point does he really realize that friends are better than money. He says that family is more important, but his brothers aren't nicer to him. You know, his dad was always not a bad guy, but Preston himself doesn't learn the obvious lesson. He wishes that he had friends and he realizes that he doesn't have friends. But then the lesson of the movie is family is what matters. Those two things don't line up because he never makes friends. And you're right. His family, is they're all jerks to him. Like friends does not equal family. Yeah, uh, and even with Shay, I thought there's incredibly easy ways to do this. Like, Preston, you're a wonderful kid, but, you know, I'm not appropriate for you. The date that Shay was on, I see where you mean that it was kind of creepy, them running through the fountain. She was having this wonderful time and like, oh, look how magical this is. Yeah, it was a little creepy that it was more romantic, but I thought they were going to go in a little direction of like, she's going to act a little more like a kid. Oh, getting wet in the water fountain, that's fun, and she's going to do something kid-like at the end to save the day, but there's no payoff to that. It's just kind of like the exact same scene that Karen Duffy, the actress, should be having with the 25-year-old man. That that would be a very cute, adorable scene. It's a really well-shot scene, I have to say. Uh, the, the coordination, uh, I think the music was nice. Yes, uh, the, the kiss that we talked about, incredibly creepy, and it, it, it's just so inappropriate. But for me, the problem with this film is that he really doesn't realize that money wasn't the secret to happiness because he just spent it wrong. Like, he should have saved it better. Later in the film, he realized, oh, no, I ran out of money. I don't have enough money to pay for these parties and stuff. I wish it was a lesson that, like, it's so much better to be with kids. There's a great scene when he has all his money and he just goes to the playground and he just wants to play with the kids. And I'm like... Just fucking go over to them and play. It's hard for a kid to do that, but I wish at the end he did. You know, he doesn't have any money. Ended with him walking towards a playground. That's it. But it ends with him looking at the Shea photograph and blowing out the candles and getting his wish. 
I really think this film actually had the the bones uh, of a, a very decent kids film. But in the end, it just didn't go anywhere in the second and third acts. And so for that reason, and for the other reasons, the creepy reasons we talked about, I say it doesn't stand the test of time. What about you, Al? Uh, I don't think you saw the nuances I did, but uh, what do you think? Uh, just completely uh, irredeemable trash? Or did you like anything about this film? There is nothing redeemable in this movie. It has no nuance. It has no positive qualities whatsoever. This is pure garbage. None of it makes any goddamn sense. Even just from like the mechanics of how this guy has the money. So Biederman works at the bank and he gives the million dollars to the wrong person. He gives it to Preston. And then Quigley's like, oh, you better help me track down that kid. Why? Why doesn't he just take out a gun and say, give me another million dollars from the safe? Getting the kid, that's your problem. I want the million dollars. That's absolutely right. Oh my God, you're right. (laughs) And then him and and Tone Loke, Tony Locke, (laughs) then the three of them are like going around a park trying to run over kids in the sandbox. Like, what the fuck? None of that makes any sense. There is not even an attempt for logic. This kid is going into the mall and like throwing cash around, actual cash, and nobody asks any questions like okay when he buys the house he he assumes the macintosh persona but he is throwing a ton of cash around in these montages if i give my kid my credit card and they go and buy a soda yeah no one's going to ask any questions if they go into a mall with thousands of dollars and are buying video games and vr headsets at sharper image someone's going to say hey kid where'd you get this money unless they're on commission you know, this could be the kind of town where people walk in with hundreds of dollars. It's the 90s. Not everyone has a credit card. Yeah, I guess. But then that doesn't stand the test of time. Like, who carries that much cash? That is a good point, though. In the modern day, no one's making these huge, big ticket purchases with cash. And it doesn't look suspicious, right? Like, it would raise eyebrows. People would be asking. Also, this seems to be like a small town. So word would get out that there's a little kid throwing all this money around. And no one seems to care that this mysterious Macintosh person that nobody has ever seen, who doesn't have a first name, no one cares about that. Like, it's just really fucking stupid. I paused the moment when the party planner like says that he owes him money and like you see the budget on the big screen i mean i didn't really pay that much attention but i did pause it it looks like he did have money to cover the party and then he was broke and they were like no he can't cover the party so now he's broke whatever that's a that's a small nitpicky thing but the music in this movie is terrible. There's a track by Right Said Fred called Wonder Man that plays during one of the montages. And if you think Right Said Fred only had one good song, I mean, that's even a stretch, but like that is just a disaster. There are so many backwards baseball hats. So many. Just like throughout the entire movie. It's Shay and Preston and all of the kids have their stupid baseball hats on backwards. Nothing of this movie stands the test of time. The whole Preston and Shay relationship is creepy as fuck. I have read that it borders on pedophilia. I think that's a little extreme. It's one kiss, but still really inappropriate. And there is a 0% chance that Disney would put that in a movie and release it into theaters today. 0%. So no, absolutely, none of this stands the test of time. This is just pure, pure garbage. 
Thank you for making me watch this, he said sarcastically. I mean, relax, Al. I it will was not. A cheesy 90s film. It's really, really, really stupid. And you have made me nervous for next week because this is another movie that you picked. It's called Slapshot. I've never heard of it. Is this another stupid Disney kids movie? No, I happened to just see it was on Netflix. I've never seen it before. I've just heard of it. It's a famous film from, I think, the 70s. And uh, it's Paul Newman. And it's like a hockey film. Yes, I have heard of that. Okay, I stand corrected. Yeah, sure. Uh, We've never done a Paul Newman movie on the podcast, I don't think. No, but um, we've definitely eaten his salsa at Nick's Marathon. Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to watching any movie that isn't blank check. Uh, in the meantime, we want to hear from you guys. We are at Tested Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. What would you do if you had a blank check for a million dollars? Would you cash it? Could you cash it? Could you cash it on, like, the app on your phone? Probably not. There's probably a limit. I don't even know what you would do with a blank check for a million dollars, to be honest. But we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye.